are listening to Afraid Not Podcast with Jill McCormick and Robin Wall. We believe that our stories matter and make us who we are. Every other week, we invite guests to join us and share their stories. Even though our stories have not, we are not afraid. Our stories are afraid. They are not perfect. We believe that the truth of our mess makes us stronger. We hope that God uses these stories to encourage and strengthen your faith as you trust in Him. Our theme verse is Colossians 1:17, which says, And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, even our frayed knots. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Jill McCormick. And I'm Robin Wall. And this is Afraid Not Podcast. You're listening to episode 108 with Elizabeth Boss, who is an international mission board missionary with her husband, Jacob. She and Jacob and their four kids have been serving the Lord for years. And what a treat that we got to have her in person to share her story today. Elizabeth's going to talk about a time where she went through some serious anxiety and depression and what that looked like from panic attacks. So if you've ever had those times that you felt, felt those emotions, this would be an episode for you to listen to. So listen in to Afraid Not. Hi, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's I'm, I'm happy to be here. We are so grateful that you came. And listeners, this is such a really special treat because normally there is an entire ocean between us, but not today. You're actually here and you're in my home, which is so fun because I got to be in Elizabeth's home in London just about a month ago. And um, it was a really wonderful opportunity of Chris and me getting to meet you and your husband, Jacob, and to have such wonderful conversations with International Mission Board missionaries like yourselves. And um, we're just so thankful for you and for your family. Thank you. It was really good to have you there. That was really special for us as well. Oh, well, thank you. It took us a little, the jet lag is a real thing. Listeners, I don't know if you've had jet lag, but it's real. <laughs> if you think, if you think, oh, it's no, nothing to it. Just hit the ground running. Well, sometimes you can't just, you just have to suffer through for a little bit. <laughs> Any tips you've learned about jet lag? No, uh, I mean, we try to do the drink lots of water and try to regulate your eating. But at the end of the day, you just have to go through it. (laughs) Yeah, so true. Well, we would love for you to start our podcast today with telling us a little bit about you, a little snapshot of your life, your family, and how you would introduce yourself to someone that you're just meeting. Okay. Um, So my husband, Jacob, and I, we do serve, as you said, with the International Mission Board. We have four wonderful children. Um, Our oldest just turned 16 this week, and so that's super. Happy birthday. It's a super special um, for us now having a 16-year-old, though we don't feel old enough to have a 16-year-old, but I think that's how it goes. Um, (laughs) They just keep getting older. And then we have a 12-year-old son, a 9-year-old son, and a 6-year-old daughter who's our baby. And, um, and so we serve overseas. We have been with the IMB since 2008, I guess, in, um, well, in the summer of 2008. And we started out in South Asia. And then after that, for a short time in Southeast Asia, and now live and uh, minister in Europe. That's really amazing. I mean, 
it's just remarkable and humbling to to recognize that the Lord called you and you both just said yes and you obeyed and you have a lifetime of serving the Lord. It's just a huge blessing and inspiring to talk to you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Have you been in London the whole time you've been in Europe? Yes. We moved directly from Southeast Asia to um, London and have been in London. We've lived in North London and now currently are living in South London. Both beautiful um, locations and just what a super fun place to live. Sometimes we come up on a road and we see something and I tell my children like, we live in London, guys, don't lose this because it really is special. We've loved all the places we've lived, but London has that. Um, kind of, I don't know, just it feels magical at times. Oh, yeah. Well, I know you are going to share your whole story with us, but before we get into the special story, whatever the Lord has put on your heart, I would really like for you to take us through what is the timeline like for someone who's going to be an international mission board? How, what was the timeline like for when the Lord started tugging on your heart with this calling? And then how long does it take to even prepare and apply and train? And then when you went to your first assignment and your second assignment, like what does this timeline looked out look like now that you can look back over your shoulder? Okay. Um, so it's a little different for everybody, but I can share my story. Um, ours was kind of, um, going back into university actually for my husband and I, and Jacob had kind of the classic call to missions when he was 14 years old, um, headed overseas, always, always looking forward. My husband's always looking forward and, um, and was kind of headed that way. And then we got to university. We went to the same university and we were dating and, um, people kept saying, Oh, Elizabeth, you know, I was a med, I was a pre-med major. And they're like, Oh, she's pre-med. She's not a missions major. Like, Oh, should you be dating her? And this kind of conversation went on for at least a year. And, and I kept bringing that to the Lord, like, Lord, are you going to call me? You know, I, I called to ministry was a pastor's daughter, grew up in ministry completely my entire um, life. I feel like, especially at a church plant and um, had done everything in the ministry, children's ministry, janitor. I was the um, nursery, you know, overseer, all those things, but it, but ha didn't have that call to long-term overseas missions. And, um, and then finally my senior year of, of university, um, the Lord just gripped my heart and said, okay, Elizabeth, do you say yes to any time anywhere? And in that moment, I said, yes, yes, I was ready um, to do that and, and to commit to any time, anywhere. And from that point, I feel like um, it was just a series of yeses. Okay, well, what would it look like if you went um, overseas with the mission board? Um, and what would it look like for your husband to go through seminary? And so everything we did from that point, kind of that point of surrender, was getting us ready to be on the field. And um, so from the time of my yes, then us getting married, then we found out they do recommend that you've been married a year before you go overseas, which is very wise. <laughs> and so we took that year. And by that time, Jacob was finishing seminary. And then from that point, we um, we went overseas. So that was probably about a two to three year time frame to finish seminary and then land on the field. 
Wow, that's really, really cool. And that was since 2008. That was when you started in South Asia? We started, yes, we landed in that summer. We landed in India and um, that was our first wonderful field of service. And uh, we we had we didn't know where we should go. My husband was thinking Vietnam, and I was kind of leaning towards South America um, with Spanish speaking peoples. And then the Lord just put India before both of us, and we were we were decided we're not always unified in our decisions, but we were in that one. It was India. So yeah. Wow. And what language did you begin learning to live there? We learned Hindi. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So did you already have a child? We did. Yes. We went to the field with an 18 month old. Wow. Yes. What was that like? Oh, well, um, I mean, it was great in a lot of ways. Children open so many doors all over the world. Right. So, so, um, for sharing the gospel, she opened so many doors, but it was challenging in others in that I never experienced life on the field without a child. So I was always mom and missionary. And so I don't feel like, um, oh, I do. Sometimes people share their story about their husband and them going out and doing things together. And Jacob and I did have some of those dynamics, but mine was always very much, okay, my mom and um, and learning what I can be, how I can invest, how I can be involved, but also with that primary um, mom uh, identity and role. And also I was, and then I started homeschooling pretty much as soon as she could. And so then that also, that kind of wrapped into it as well. So there were challenges, but it was also really sweet. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Did you well, end up I, finishing your medical school? I did not. You no. didn't? So you're not doing medical over there? No. I did not. That was a part of it. When the Lord said anytime, anywhere, he pretty much asked, would I be willing to go ahead and go? And and med school would have taken the time that that we didn't have. Um, And so, yeah, I never went, I never went on to med school, just finished up my pre-med and and I had used that. Actually, I've done a lot of health, um, a lot of preach and heal ministries over the years with whatever um, knowledge I have, but never went on and finished. Mm-hmm. And the, I love that. It's really something that I want to think about for me. Do I say yes to any time, anywhere? And that obedience that the Lord is calling all of us to, whatever your day-to-day, whatever He is laying before us, that I want to have that. Yes, anytime. Yes, anywhere. Obedience. That's really, I mean, there's so much joy in obedience. There is. There is. For sure. Well, tell us about your, I know you described a childhood of being very involved in a church. So do you remember how old you were when you felt like the call of salvation, a moment of giving your heart to Jesus, or do you just have a general understanding of your uh, childhood growing up and just having faith and not a really a specific moment that you remember? No, I definitely had a moment when I was um, six years old of being impressed with my own sin. As you said, I was raised in the church, my dad being a pastor, and then went on to plant a church when I was um, 10 years old. But before that, when I was six years old, that time of awareness of my own salvation, my own need for a savior, and that was very clear. I um, I think that being, I was discipled, of course, by my parents and also women in our church and and um, but I think that goes into my frayed not story of of just 
um, I was a doer. I did a lot of things in the church and that, that can happen. A lot of, a lot of that identity when we are raised in the church and we want so badly to, um, to follow the Lord and everything we do, that was truly a motivation of my heart, but it led me into being a strong doer. And, and, um, and so I wasn't always sure what it meant to follow Christ beyond what I could do for Christ. And so that is a huge part of my upbringing story, even though I do clearly remember my moment of salvation and of, of turning the Lord from my sin and, and receiving forgiveness for that. Mm-hmm. Well, would you like to take us to yeah, your story? Into that. Yeah, I think, um, so when, um, in, in the, on the mission field, we have um, terms, three-year terms. And so um, we usually go for two to three years. And um, and then after that, we will return to the U.S. for a time of, of refreshing, usually about a six-month um, time of refreshing is how our organization um, does it. And, um, and then you go back. And we were actually, my husband and I were in our second term, the middle of our second term, and his father um, suddenly passed away of a heart attack. And, um, and so we came back to the U S and, um, went through the funeral walk through his mom was walking through cancer at the same time. Oh my. And so, um, in the midst of all that, I had what I know now was my first panic attack of my life. And I didn't know that at the time, which is, which is common when people, um, experience panic attacks later in life. Um, I didn't know what was happening, but now I know looking back, I had my first panic attack and that started kind of a journey of anxiety for me, pretty um, extreme anxiety that, that presented at first with panic disorder and then into just generalized anxiety. And so that was following the um, death of his father. And then we decided to go back to the field. We really wrestled with, should we stay in the the U S his mother was a widow now um, Jacob's the oldest son, you know, what was our responsibility there? So we really wrestled with that, but felt at peace to go back to the field. And so returned to the field, even though I was still struggling with this kind of generalized anxiety and, um, and we're on the field for another year. And then his mother, um, her cancer came back and came back terminal. And so we knew we would lose her, but we didn't know, you know, how quickly that would happen. And, um, and so as we kind of started trying to come back every uh, probably fourth chemo treatment, we would try to come back and, and be here for a while and, and help a little bit. And during one of those times that we had come back, we found out that my husband lost his visa to India. And so we would not be able to return to our field of service. What does that mean when you say he lost his visa? Is it he didn't lose a piece of paper? It's something different. What does it mean? Yes, it means that they canceled his visa. And so um, there's you can't find a lot of information once someone has a visa canceled because that is a, a government um, prerogative. They can do that. And so um, so we don't know. We believe that the Lord is providential and sovereign in all of it. And so we trust in that. But we don't know the reason. But he did lose his visa Um the children and I did not, but he lost his visa. And so kind of in the midst of that, we thought, okay, well, we're in the U.S. You know, his mother was declining rapidly. Is this, is this our, our time? Like, should we just say, okay, Lord, 
we need to be here to care for his mother. What does this look like? And so we were praying through that and, um, and really felt like, no, it wasn't time. You know, the Lord, um, wasn't finished with us overseas. And so we should, we should look for our next service. And so that ends the, that started the time in Southeast Asia. That was a place that we could go and be close to South Asia, but, um, and live for a, live for a time and, and hopefully still re-engage in our, in our field of service was what we were hopeful. Can I ask you a question about that? Did that mean that it was a painful, I'm not getting to have closure. Did you not get to say goodbye to people you loved there in India? It That was extremely challenging. I think I went back with my daughter at the time. Sky was 10 and we really wanted her to be able to say goodbye. It was so, I mean, this had been her home yes. from the time she had her mm-hmm. second birthday there and from all the rest of her years. And so we, uh, Jacob and I really felt like she needed to say goodbye. And so I went back and packed up our flat and, um, and took her with me and we prayed over our city and had those things, but it was a really challenging time. I also had a two month old baby at the time. And so it was extremely, uh, exhausting for me as a mom and then trying to care for my oldest as well. And so even though I look back and I think, okay, I had some semblance of closure cause I did get to go back and, and say goodbye to our loved ones there it was, it was all just kind of a blur. <laughs> and so I don't know that, that even, uh, I felt some of that closure in my own heart, but I think it was good for Sky to be able to go. Sky's our oldest and, um, was able to say, say goodbye to people. And really we had a beautiful time of, you know, praying over the city before we left. And that was really special for her and I to feel like we did have a little bit of closure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we did that and then moved to the, um, Southeast Asia, and we had been there for about um, six months, seven months, when um, the organization asked us if we wouldn't consider moving to Europe, because we had been doing work in urban cities, and so um, the idea was that, okay, we had, we'd been working in a, a mega city there in South Asia, now could we move to a large city in Europe, being London, and so we were praying through that. Um, and really I wasn't feeling especially a peace with it. I'm not a person that likes change. And so I wasn't feeling a peace with it, but, um, but Jacob just encouraged me to spend some time with the Lord. And so I did, I went, um, and spent just a day with the Lord, just praying through these, the options that we had and really felt like the Lord communicated through scripture that he was going to take care of us. He had taken care of us in South Asia, Southeast Asia. He was going to take care of us in Europe. It didn't matter the place because our Lord is the same. And so, um, and so really we felt freedom to say yes to the role in, in London. And actually, um, a week after we did that, um, Jacob's mom ended up passing away. Mm -hmm. And so that just kind of all came together at the same time. We're thankful that we had made the decision at that point. We weren't trying to do that in grief as well, but it did make our timeline just a little crazy because then we came back to the U.S. for a funeral and then went straight to to London from there. Mm -hmm. So So now let's pick back up into your story of Afraid Not and how these pieces of the puzzle were part of that for you. Okay, well, the 
So I already mentioned that I had anxiety and um, through all of this, it was, it was in various uh, versions, I guess, of maybe a little bit of relief and then kind of back in as we would experience some of this um, extreme upheaval. And that would kind of throw me right back in. Um, if I felt like I had any progress, I felt, I felt like I was doing good and then something would happen and kind of take me back. And, um, and so that was kind of, uh, it was the characterization of that time. I felt like it was like a little bit of improvement and a little bit of, okay, we're just struggling again. And so in all of that, in my heart, it, there was definitely a lot of questioning. Just, Lord, what are you doing? You know, we, you've called us overseas. We want to be overseas. We want to be serving you. We want to bring the gospel to those who have not heard. That has always been the cry on our hearts. And, and in the midst of it, we're experiencing all this difficulty and challenge and, and things that are pulling us back to the U.S. And, and so there was, especially for me, I think a lot of confusion, a lot of um, just an awareness of my own brokenness. Here I was in the midst of it, you know, not able to maintain what I thought I was supposed to be doing for the Lord. And um, and so there were, there were some lessons that, um, that the Lord really taught us through that. Ended up after we landed in London, had been there for about um, four or five months, and I had just a complete health crisis and um, ended up in the hospital and my... Um, my body, my numbers were just really bad and nothing they could say, nothing that they could pin it to other than just extreme exhaustion and, and all the things um, that had been coming against us. And so, um, and so we ended up taking some time off the field. We took a, one of those uh, furloughs that I talked about, one of those extended times of rest and just really worked on um, me walking through counseling, processing our grief. Both Jacob and I needed a lot of processing time. The field doesn't always give a lot of a lot of time for that. And so um, just spent a lot of time walking through what had happened and, and asking the Lord those questions we needed to ask mm -hmm. and, um, and letting the Father just walk through that with us and um, and spent a lot of time processing and in extended counseling. And in that, the Lord showed me some things that I really needed to learn. And, um, and he did restore my health in the end and, um, and, and restore me from the anxiety as well. But there were uh, some definite things I had to learn before that point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you think just mostly the grief and you hadn't really worked through the process of it was causing the panic attacks? I think so. I think in the end, if I look back, I see that I had that in my life anyway. I had that. Um, in fact, one of the things I would say, one of the lessons I learned was that I have a high need for control and I seek it and I and I work very hard. I strive to create the sense of security and stability, but it's not as it should be in my savior. It's, it's, it's of my own making. And mm -hmm. I try to create it in my environment, in my home. And I really, um, I think India maybe brought that out in me, this desire to like create this safe and secure environment for myself and my children, particularly. And, um, and in the end, that's an illusion because I can't create that. And, um, but I thought I could, and I, I spent a lot of years thinking I could, 
And then when all that was gone and I saw it for the illusion it was, I think that was a part of me just coming undone and feeling so anxious because it was like suddenly I could see that that I ha- I didn't have any safety and security apart from Christ. I had created something that wasn't real. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that really was a part of, I think when that was stripped away, then the anxiety um, really overcame me. What would you say to someone who's listening today who might be feeling like, oh my goodness, this sounds so much like the way I'm feeling. And maybe they haven't had the courage to take steps to go get some counseling or talk to their doctor about chemical imbalance. Do I need help with medication or what would you encourage them now that you have walked this journey and they may be feeling like, you know, now maybe they're being feeling under attack of our enemy saying, well, a good Christian wouldn't struggle with that. A good Christian would just just pray about it and everything's going to be fine. So how can you help somebody who's out there feeling like that and just say, oh, no, this is not this is a time to recognize that we we need our defender. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit and how we can encourage our listeners who may be feeling so much like that. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked that. So obviously I talk to a lot of people now who, who, when I share my story, they say, oh, anxiety is a part of my story too, or it could be a current part, you know, um, so much of us, I think there's a reason why in scripture, of course, talks a lot about anxiety because we do, we, uh, we all struggle with that. I think in one form or another, I may have a personality that is lent itself a little bit more towards that. Um, And so it is more part of me and my family story, even my, my family of origin. And so it may be a little bit more for me or for someone else out there. And I think ultimately knowing that, um, the Lord can redeem that he can, Mm -hmm. he, he has done it in my life. He has, um, walked through me in that as I have processed with him all in all, my anxiety journey ended up being about a five-year journey because, um, of where we were located. Medicine wasn't an option for me. Um, and so maybe that did make it a little bit longer. I don't know, but I do know that the Lord has, um, the Lord has walked through it with me. And as I have learned, I, I do have some wonderful things that I have learned with um, therapies and things that I have uh, done. But ultimately, I would say the Lord has just taught me. He is my safety and security. And the more I lean into that, the more I embrace that he's my safety and security and not something I'm creating for myself, the more freedom I have found from anxiety. And that's something I, I have to do today. It's not something in the past. It's something even when those attacks come, uh, from on my children, on my home, on are we going to move again? Whatever it is comes um, my way that kind of shakes the rug from me. Um, when that yeah. comes, I have to lean into that. That ultimately, he's my safety and security. Um, mm-hmm. It comes only from him and in his love for me. And that is, um, and that is the identity part of it. It's who I am in Christ. And so those those have been the really vital things. But I I tell everyone that I that I share my story with, he can redeem this. And he does. He will. Mm-hmm. You know, I ask a question real quick on the medication that you're saying that you couldn't get it. Yes. Were. So is that something that we in the United States take for granted that we can go to a pharmacy and get a prescription for whatever that is not maybe 
available in other places? It could be. I think that, um, I mean, I believe the Lord can use many means and he does. And so I have other friends that that's a part of their story that they have been able to get help in other ways. Um, it's not everyone overseas that can't, but it's certain locations that can't. Okay. And so that for me to be able to stay where we were, it was not a, a, um, an option for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What were some of your scriptures that were like maybe a mantra that you would just say the scripture and, and meditate on it, or maybe just lifeline, um, wonderful thoughts and um a stronghold the Lord would give you in a moment that you would feel, okay, I'm feeling like this rising anxiety or, you know, I wonder if this is a, am I going to start to have a panic attack? What were some of those helpful things to hold on to? Um, well, for, for me, there was one thing that, um, this is something that my counselor taught me early on, but it's something that was really instrumental for me. So it was, um, some people might call it the welcome prayer. Some people might, uh, say claiming a promise of God, ultimately being that it's, um, bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So when that anxiety starts to rise and you feel the tightness in your chest, just stopping and saying, um, usually for me, it was, okay, I have to release the need to feel safe and secure. And then after releasing that need, because the Lord knows everything that I need, he knows what I need in that moment. Then say, then usually I would say a name of Jesus, like Prince of Peace, calm the storm or Abba, Father, hold me close. Mm-hmm. And it was that moment to say, okay, I know I need to feel safe. I know that I can't make myself feel safe. Only the Lord can. And so just really bringing him into that moment. And that was really instrumental for me. Mm-hmm. I had a moment this very week that I was feeling overwhelmed to the point of tears (laughs) and a moment of recognizing that what I needed was not in myself. And so listeners, I don't know if you relate to this, if you've had a moment like that, and I would love to encourage you a couple of scriptures that are lifeline for me. And I know this is Elizabeth's story, not mine, but I just have to just say, this is so fresh in my life. And it was such a help in my life. I want to share it. And I just cling to Isaiah 41, 10. So do not fear for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And Psalm 28, 7, which says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him, and I am helped. My heart rejoices with great joy. So those are like my lifeline moments of, okay, I'm just going to say it over and over and over and meditate on it. Because when I feel myself beginning to wheels are coming off and the wagon is going to run away, (laughs) that Sometimes scripture is the anchor for me to be right back where I need to be, keeping my eyes on the Lord. And so I wonder, as you are in situations where you're meeting people all the time that do not know Jesus yet, and that's a heavy yet, we're praying that Mm -hmm. through the relationships you all are able to build, that they are drawn to Christ and you get to lead them to Christ. And that's our prayer, you know, for 
all believers, not just for our prayer for missionaries, but we're all on mission. So what are some things that in dealing with people that, that don't share the Savior with you, yet you're in relationships? And did you did the Lord use open doors with people as you were able to maybe a friend that maybe a neighbor that you're like, you know, I'm having a rough day, but God is with me. Or have there been open door moments like that? There have been. Absolutely. I think, um, again, I, I don't, don't think anxiety is a stranger. Um, definitely not to my, uh, believing friends or my lost friends and being able to, to be transparent about what the Lord's doing in my own heart, the way he can comfort, the way he can come, what you're saying that he, when we're coming unglued, he can hold us together. Um, he, he does those things. And so being able to testify of that, being able to share that hope, ultimately that when you're feeling anxious, depressed, any of those things, you feel so hopeless. And to know that um, the Lord is our hope. He is, and the gospel is our hope. And so being able to share that, I feel like um, I have been able to use that with neighbors. Definitely one dear neighbor in London I can think of that I just feel like every time I was with her, she would say that you're just always so hopeful. And that was so encouraging to me because I didn't always feel like I was wearing that hopefulness. You know? <laughs> but that's that's Christ in me, that, that it, he is our hope. And so being able to share that, being able to um, really embrace that, I think that one part and this was also a part of when I was processing and having um, having that extended time of rest in, in the States, there was the need to work through my desire for control for sure and, and, and turn from that and repent from that. And then there was also, uh, I really had to work through my identity. And, um, and that's something I share again with believers and non-believers. When I um, went to the field, I was this doer, right? I had done so many things for God or felt like I had done so many things for God in ministry and in outreach and, and all of these things. And it was very much a doing um, identity of what I could do for Christ and so much less of my foundational identity that my worth and value, they were only in being created in his image and being a child of God. Like that's where it was. And yet the doer in me wanted value and worth in the things I was doing, the things I had invested in, the work I had done um, for Christ. And even in my missionary identity or my mom identity, oh, I put worth and value there as well. And so when as a missionary, when I suddenly couldn't keep those rhythms because of my anxiety, because of my health needs, when I couldn't keep to that kind of work um, identity where I was like, oh, but I'm doing this and I'm doing that, that was taken away. And when that was gone, I found myself just, just really struggling with, man, do I even have value? Do I even have worth? Like, do I have a purpose? Mm -hmm. Is there anything left when all that's gone? And um, when I can't serve those around me, these were these were a lot of questions. And a lot of a lot of times I would give into that and I would be like, I don't, it's not, I've got to get back to where I was, you know? And so um, so working through that identity of okay, and that is something I still constantly have to do. My worth and value are not in what I am doing for Christ. It is, it's in what Jesus has done on the cross, it's in who I am as his child created in his image. As his beloved, I have to say that so often 
um, just that that is the truth. Even when I am, um, even after I became where I was doing better, I wanted to rebuild those, those functional roles, the identity things that gave me worth and value. It was like, I wanted to rebuild what I had before. And instead to this day, I have to remind myself, no, that is not what I'm trying to rebuild. I am trying to really lean into that foundational identity and have my rhythms and the things I do on a daily basis come from that and not come from the things that I think give me worth and value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think you're outpouring to your neighbor where she said, you have, you always seem to have hope. That is the outpouring of being in your identity in Christ. But I think a lot of us that did grow up in church, it is a lot about doing and um, how we're, what we're doing for the kingdom and all those buzzwords that we use in the faith. But um, so how do you, what are some steps that you do to remind yourself that that's not what your identity is? I think probably the most practical I would have to say is um, reevaluating my schedule constantly. And that was the thing in the past. I would have just blitzed through that, you know, oh, my schedule can be whatever it needs to be to meet everybody's needs, to do all the things I need to do, to make sure I'm, um, you know, being a good missionary, whatever, whatever I had determined that to be a good uh, follower of Christ. I would have never, um, I didn't put a lot of boundaries specifically on my schedule and on my rhythms to make sure that I was having that time with the Lord, that deep time that that fed me, that that gave me the, the living energy, the walks with the Lord in nature, whatever I needed to do to remind me of my identity in Him um, as His beloved. And so I think it, if the practical side of it looked very much as, and still does, reevaluating that schedule, looking at my calendar, am I getting into that doing side and, and really um, evaluating where the Lord wants me to invest? I still do a lot. That's still a part of who I am, but, um, but really trying to take that before the Lord, pray through it with him. Okay. Is this where I need to be investing? Because I don't want to just be um, getting back into those old habits that, that eventually, you know, took me down a very exhausted um, path where I, maybe I was patting myself on the back, but I didn't even know was, was I investing in meaningful things for the kingdom. And I'm sure as a mom, balancing taking care of your children and also having that expectation of, but I'm a missionary, so I have to fill in the blank. So uh, there are times that Jacob is traveling often with his responsibilities because he travels and encourages and meets with the missionaries all over the continent of Europe, right? And he and even coming back to the United States as a leader for representing all of what's happening in Europe, right? Yes. So the times that you are shouldering here I have the four kids who need me. There are times that there must be where you have to just, all I can do today is take care of my kids and feed them and make sure that we have clothes that are clean and feed the dog, you know? So to, but to feel like, and that's okay, that you don't have an extra somehow manufactured four more hours out of thin air to go and do some sort of, work on top when already that's what you have. I think that's something that 
we can relate to as women, wherever you are, listeners, that we don't have any kind of supernatural ability to do it all. We just don't. And so recognizing the wisdom of what Elizabeth just said, looking at the reality of what's what's the priority today? And sometimes it's just taking care of your children today. And that is the priority and not feeling like, well, I'm guilty. I didn't have time to do a Bible study today with my neighbor. I didn't have time to go start a new um, thing at my church. But sometimes in the day to day, we can spread ourselves so thin that we're becoming unhealthy and Mm -hmm. we're at a scary point. So Mm -hmm. those are thoughts there. So what are some things in going on in London that we can pray specifically for you all or that the church in, in London is needing? Well, um, so I can speak to specifically my own area and, um, I have been able to, um, have a ministry among refugees in my local area. That's been, a a blessing I didn't know the Lord was going to bring. And I'm so grateful for, um, just through my children's local school, I have met several refugee mothers and have been able to share the gospel with them, but also, um, out of my own story, there is a, a tool that I use called multiplying hope. And it's just a trauma informed way to not only share the gospel, but also very gently process trauma with those who have, um, could be in refugee situations and could be in, uh, it could be big T trauma or small T trauma. It can be uh, for either, but it's something that I have used extensively. And so I use that with uh, refugees there in my town and um, has been really beneficial. But I would say just a prayer request would be that these women who I am in uh, contact with and, and have been such a joy to me, my ultimate desire is that they would come to know Jesus. And, um, and a lot of them have a lot of barriers and some of it is the trauma that they've been through, um, the pain of it, even having space to, um, process Jesus's gospel, um, takes a lot of time. And most of them aren't coming from any kind of background where they have an understanding of, of Christian faith. And so, um, so there are a lot of hurdles, but I believe the Lord will overcome that and he's pursuing them. I believe that's why I'm in their lives is because he is pursuing them. And so I would ask for prayer for these women specifically, um, that they would come to know Jesus and that, uh, they would be, uh, generational changers for their children. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. So have any of your children developed an English accent? They have. Yes, Sadie especially, um, our sweet little Sadie, she can say, well, she says all kinds of things, strawberry, and um, and she says cheeky. Sometimes she'll throw a cheeky in here or there. Um, she's real, she's, she's our most British, so my oldest can turn it off and on. In fact, when Sky was in school in the UK, um, they would forget that she was um, American because TCKs, as they say, third culture kids, they're very good about being chameleons. And it's something that they learn very early on about adapting. And so Sky would just be totally British at school. And then I would have a meeting with the teacher and they would say something like, oh, I forgot you're American, you know, because, <laughs> because Sky was so um, English at school. <laughs> wow. 
<laughs> so do you foresee staying in, in London for a while? We do, hopefully, yes. Yes, it has been our longest, as uh, you heard my story, there's been a lot of movement, unexpected movement and otherwise. And um, and so this has been the most stable of a location we've been in, but um, but we do anticipate staying there. It's a good place for for um, my husband to be able to travel out of. And so that's been really good. And, um, and, and the kids are really, they're doing well. They're thriving. I'm so happy to say that they're thriving. And we're really well. we excited about the idea and the potential that we might get to have your oldest come visit our daughter at college. That's Just right. check it out because on the horizon, you know, that your oldest child will be heading to university. So it just is an exciting time. And um, our family is excited to think about any ways we can connect with you all and help you. And one little way is just helping that college visit. So we're excited for that to happen at OBU with our two Maggie. (laughs) So sweet. Well, I, I feel impressed that one thing that I would like us to do Right now in this conversation and listeners, whenever and however this podcast comes to you, whether you're on a run or you're listening in your car on a drive or you're folding a mountain of laundry, let's just all pray together right now. Let's pray for the women that you are praying and meeting with and talking with that they're refugees and the Lord has brought you into their lives. And I would like to just pray for them. Let's do that. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus that you will reach these dear souls that Elizabeth knows. You know them so intimately. And the moments that they're back in London and the conversations, the open doors, the moments that become a simple opportunity of planting a seed of hope and peace and the gospel of Jesus. We pray that as Elizabeth recognizes how you use her in her strengths and her weaknesses, that you will take the little and the big things to spread these um, these moments that could turn into an open door for them to, these ladies to say, I need Jesus to be my savior. And so all of us listening to this right now and all of us in this conversation right now, we ask you to use Elizabeth and her family to strengthen them, encourage them, give them hope and joy and rest in you and let the seeds they're planting of faith through the Holy Spirit. I pray that it would lead to many people being drawn to salvation in Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming and sharing your story. We really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. I appreciate it, Jill. I appreciate the opportunity. I was saying I don't share uh, all the details, you know. I talk to a lot of people about anxiety, but it's not always helpful to share your own what led you to that point? That's not always helpful for people, especially if they're struggling with anxiety. And so, so I don't always share that side of it. And so it hasn't, it's not a story that I've told frequently. And so I appreciate you all listening and helping me process. It's huge, helpful. And we hope that any listeners who identify with this and are recognizing, I really need to stop hiding this under the rug. 
if we don't take care of dealing with these things that are urgent situations, we will literally cause ourselves to just have kind of a, an outburst. It can't, we can't stuff it forever. So listeners, if you are feeling like, you know what, it's time, make the call today, set up a counselor appointment today, go talk to your doctor, go talk to your pastor, uh, talk to a woman you trust in your church and start the conversation today so that you're not suffering in silence and trying to push through like, well, I have to push through. I'm a good Christian. I have to push through. No, you have to recognize you're a child of God and he is going to help you heal and all of us are a work in progress and we're all a mess. <laughs> that's right. We're all still, I, that's why I love the um, story of Joseph. It's something that I use when I talk to people about trauma, that when Joseph says to his brothers, you meant it to me for evil, but God meant it for good. And, and, um, and that is the, that is such a good, helpful reminder for me when I do look back at my story and I'm like, Lord, why, why did we have to go through all that? Why did you take Jacob's parents so young? Why, mm -hmm. why did you, why we were on the field, you know, just the, the visa, so many pizza of it, parts of it that I'm saying, okay, why? Um, that I know ultimately that the Lord, he can use it for good. However it came about, he can use our stories for good. And he does, um, not just for ourselves, but so that many other can others can benefit as well and be saved ultimately. So, Well, thank you so much, Elizabeth, for coming on Afraid Not. Thank you for being with us and sharing your story. And it's just such an honor and a privilege. And you are a sister in Christ. I'm very grateful for you. Thank you. Thank you, Robin. And Joe. Thanks for listening, everyone. We're so glad you were here with us today to listen to Afraid Not and hear Elizabeth Voss's story. Maybe you have been exactly in her shoes before. Something I'm really glad that she talked about today is her hope that she has found in Christ and finding her identity in Jesus. Not in what she does, not in her accomplishments or how hard she works, which, you know what, haven't we all been there trying to spin our wheels? She's just found that her identity is she's a daughter of the King. And she belongs to Him. And she is, because of Jesus, she is forgiven. And that's who she, that's her identity. And she did mention that anxiety is not a stranger to the lost or believers. We all have a time that we have to deal with anxiety. And we need to make sure that we that we say yes to any time, anywhere, when God calls us to something. So we appreciate you being here with us. And we, remember to rate, review, subscribe, share it with a friend. And we hope you have a Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas and a Happy New Year. Year. <laughs> Thanks again.